So IXL Learning is a multi-subject online program for kids, and it's used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. 14 million students use it. And if you have kids who are trying to get ahead or if they're struggling with certain subjects or studying for a test that's coming up, IXL is this personalized learning tool that you can use to help kids learn what they need to learn faster. And they have programs K through 12, so there's something for every level. And some of my nieces and nephews have been homeschooled, and so my family has used tools like this to supplement curriculum or to brush up or to sharpen skills. IXL Learning has won tons of awards, and so many students have benefited from it. So make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And Ologies listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com slash Ologies. So visit IXL.com slash Ologies to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Don't just ride the index. Seek to outperform it with Fidelity Active ETFs. Learn more at fidelity.com slash active ETFs. Before investing in any exchange-traded fund, you should consider its investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Contact Fidelity for a prospectus, an offering circular, or if available, a summary prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. While active ETFs offer the potential to outperform an index, these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive ETFs. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIPC. Oh, hey, it's that ceramic frog on your porch who always makes you think it's a real frog, even though you put the ceramic frog there. Allie Ward, just saying hi. What's up? Another episode of Ologies. So this is a partner episode to last week's Belly Full of Jellyfish, Medusology. Thank you to everyone on Patreon for submitting your great questions for this episode. Um, You can join for as little as a buck a month. Thank you to everyone who rates and reviews. It actually really matters and keeps the podcast up in the charts for other people to find. And also, I read all your reviews. Like this week's from Rogue Avocado, who says, I love hearing how passionate each ologist is. It really makes you think about what gets your own heart fluttering in life. Sweet. That's why I love making this podcast so much. Okay, so thank you for the reviews. Now, let's go to Kansas for toxinology, shall we? So toxinology, it's a word which means poison. Toxin means poison. It comes from Old French and Latin words for poisoned arrow, which came from an older word meaning a yew tree from which the bows were made. So toxins, toxic, poisons, it's got some tree roots. And it means now in toxinology, the study of biological toxins produced by venomous animals or plants or microorganisms like bacteria, or for example, jellyfish, which if you listened to last week's medusology, you now know are cnidarians. Cnidarians is a silent C word. And those are related to sea anemones and corals. But for more on a jellyfish gossip and primer and a rockin' good time, just listen to this past week's Medusology episode with Dr. Rebecca Helm about the basics of jellyfish. She is amazing. You can also listen to last year's Nidariology episode with Shale Matsuda about coral. And then this ologist got her bachelor's in biology and chemistry and is a grad student at the University of Kansas getting a PhD in ecology and evolutionary biology, studying jellyfish venomics in the Cartwright lab. And her social media handle just shows a jiggly burning commitment. It's at gelatinous sting. She loves this job. And when I initially let folks on Patreon know that I was doing a jellyfish episode, I asked if I should put both ologists in one interview and everyone emphatically said two episodes. We need them. We need them in succession. So your wishes, my commands. So we hopped on the horn. 
early in the morn. And we chatted all about stingers and tentacles and clear jellies and less clear jellies, which ones deliver the most pow for the punch, and what it's like to swim through a sea of stingers, what to do if you're stung, how small are the barbs, her favorite jellies, her most memorable moments as a scientist to date. So enjoy the Medusa musings of self-described professional jellyfish nerd, venom scientist, and toxinologist, Anna Klompen. so that we don't miss anything. Thank you so much for doing this. And you are a toxinologist, which is not a toxicologist, right? Yeah, I, I'm a, um, I would say, I would call myself a budding evolutionary biologist, but yes, I'm a jellyfish <laughs> toxinologist, I guess. At least trying to be. <laughs> oh my God. But I was certainly always a jellyfish uh, fan. I've wanted to study jellyfish for a long time and I got really interested in their venoms, too, um, probably, honestly, around in high school, but um, really in-depth when I went to my undergrad. And the questions I'm interested in are how venoms change and how they're related to different kind of ecological contexts in jellyfish. And pardon the question, are there jellyfish in Kansas? There um so there's probably freshwater jellyfish somewhere. So a lot of okay. people on the Patreon I saw were really interested in these freshwater jellyfish. Buca de Beppo. It's called Crassetacusta. Okay. Um, and we actually have them here in the lab. Uh, they're uh, an invasive freshwater jellyfish, and they're probably all over the United States um, in freshwater quarries. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we probably have those. I know they're in Missouri, pretty close to us, too. Otherwise, no, there are no jellyfish <laughs> anymore. Um, probably when Kansas was underwater, I'm sure there was there was plenty, but not as much anymore. Our lab probably has um, the most jellyfish diversity here in the, <laughs> in the state. Do jellyfish leave fossils, or are they too squish-squish? Uh, no, there are some jellyfish fossils. It's very rare. Um, actually, my, my advisor was part of a lead paper on jellyfish fossils. We might, it's somewhere in here, probably, there's a jellyfish fossil. So it's um, very rare, but there is, in Wisconsin, actually, there is a whole plain um, where an entire bloom of jellyfish uh, was fossilized. Okay, so Anna's current PhD advisor, Dr. Cartwright, helped describe a 5 million year old jellyfish fossil found in Utah, which used to be a frickin' ocean. So I looked at a picture of this jellyfish fossil, and it was like the spitting image of a nine-year-old's drawing of a jellyfish, if it were also a cave painting, but also hauntingly beautiful. Now, as long as we're going way back in time, what was your first experience with a jelly? During, I believe, freshman orientation, is I, I was... Uh, We'll say driven was the word for it. And I emailed a bunch of labs during freshman orientation saying, hey, I want to be in a lab right now. And I believe the phrase I used for the lab I ended up in is, I want to study cnidarian venoms with implications in human health. <laughs> pretty verbatim. Yeah, I was, I was, yeah, that, that's a pretty good, like, look into my life. Yeah, so like, my nail on the head there. <laughs> 
So Anna started out in undergrad working with marine flatworms in Chesapeake Bay that are devouring mussels and oysters. What a nuisance. But no one saw these marine flatworms eat in their early life. No one witnessed it until Anna observed them with guts full of bivalve mush in the lab. She even published her first paper along with her advisor as an undergrad. And then I got a NOAA fellowship to go work with at the Smithsonian um, with uh, Dr. Alan Collins, who I knew about in high school because I Googled jellyfish biologists, I'm sure, at some <laughs> point. And I said, hey, I want to work with you. I want to do venoms. Now I have this fellowship. Can I come work there? And he was like, absolutely. Oh. So I did my first stint in jellyfish venoms there. And uh, yeah, that's how it kind of began. He's the one that told me about the lab here, um, which I'm very grateful for. When where did, where did your interest in science start? You were so driven. What was it about <laughs> jellyfish and marine life and, and toxinology that kind of grabbed you with its stinginess? Yeah, what a, what a story. So um, both my parents are biologists. My, my dad, uh, he studies mycetics. So I was kind of in their um, Museum of Biological Diversity since probably age two mm -hmm. throughout my time there. I really loved being um, there and looking at collections, microscopes. My mom has a master's in small mammal behavior, so she actually studied parasites in chipmunks. So she was always taking me to the zoo, taking me outside, doing all this stuff. Um, but in my, my childhood angst, I would say, I said, I am not going to study the same thing as my parents. I'm going to move away from terrestrial stuff. Um, I, got, I loved marine biology. I was just fascinated by the idea that we didn't know very much about marine science. Mm -hmm. um, and the one piece of advice I took from my, uh, my dad was find a field that's very small if you want to discover really new mm. things. Mm -hmm. um, so I was like, perfect, deep ocean. So I started looking really into deep ocean stuff, probably like in middle school, actually. I think I did presentations on deep sea biology for stuff. I'm so, so nerdy. And, so um, great. And I, when I was looking at that stuff, I was really into bioluminescence. Bioluminescence kind of led me to a little bit of chemistry. Mm -hmm. um, the chemistry kind of led me to venoms. Bioluminescence also kind of led me to jellies. And then it just... The more I learned, um, actually, the more I learned, we didn't know. Like, we didn't know, like, very basic natural history facts about jellyfish things and uh, what their venom looks like, how they're using their venom, things like that. Um, and yet they're so powerful. Some, some jellyfish can be really dangerous, uh, but we didn't, just didn't know enough, and not a lot of people were working on it. So that's kind of where I hooked on, and, yeah, it's really just kind of held on <laughs> have you okay so are you talking to me from the lab right now yeah i am this is kind of my uh the lab has always been my uh comfort zone so normally we feed our jellies three times a week um i'm sure they would love more but yeah i'm here uh feeding all the different ones mostly brine shrimp and some mussel eventually some of the jellyfish we have um we may feed pieces of other jellyfish so they they like to eat other jellies so that's probably going to get a few of those at some point. Do you have to pick a jelly from one tank to be like, sorry, dude, it's not your lucky day? <laughs> um, I feel like I do that. That's one of the things that is really um, kind of sad in a way with working with jellyfish. Is there, um, 
so good at making jellyfish that, yeah, you end up, like, having to just, like, put them in the freezer or feed them to other jellies. And, yeah, that's um, always been kind of one of the harder things for me. I bet. And (laughs) have you ever gotten stung by one? Oh, probably every day I get stung a little bit because I, I stick my hands right in the tanks to move, like, some of our, um, our jellyfish polyps and things. But most most jellies are too um, small to really hurt you. Our skin is pretty thick compared mm-hmm. to most jellyfish. Uh, in terms of bad stings, I've gotten – I just got stung by a lion's mane jelly when I was uh, taking a class in Washington State. So – yeah, they're pretty big. Small bit of tentacle on my wrist probably hurt for about two hours. Oh. That wasn't fun. Um, I've been stung by sea nettles, and I've been stung by uh, upside-down jellyfish. What are too. those? Uh, those are awesome. That was also something I worked on recently. So upside-down jellyfish look pretty much like a normal jellyfish, except they sit um, with their bell, the, the round part at the top, sitting uh, on the ground, and their tentacles and their oral arms facing mm. up. And that's how they spend. So they actually have uh, symbiotic algae. P.S. For a good base on corals. Once again, Shale Matsuda's Nidariology episode from last summer. So good. Shale was talking about corals have this uh, symbiosis with different algae. So these jellyfish have that too. And some, some jellyfish have this symbiosis. And the upside down jellyfish gets a good bit of its um, food and energy from these symbionts. Uh, sitting in the sun. It also eats uh, other like plankton and small things that come around as well. But the amazing part of upside down jellies is they they not only can sting you a bit, and their sting isn't really that bad, um, but they will actually sneeze this mucus up into the water and that will sting you. Oh, God. So it's this, yeah. Mucus poison is a nightmare. It's, it's, awesome so they they gather in these huge groups and so like people will snorkel over them they're beautiful jellyfish all these different colors and then you'll just like start feeling this tingling and if you're not wearing a mask or if you have cuts or anything it could i'm sure it can feel pretty bad i just had my hand in tanks and so they were just spewing mucus everywhere and so it caused a little tingle for me we actually just uh, a team of us just were we were asking the question, like, why does this mucus sting? Um, no one had actually gone and formally looked at the mucus to see why it stung things. Mm-hmm. And we actually discovered that they make these uh, stinging cell balls uh, that we call cassiosomes. So they're um, tightly packed little mobile balls of stinging cells and they release hundreds of them into the mucus (gasps) we did experiments where we put them in with brine shrimp and those things destroy brine shrimp very very quickly they they seem to be very powerful and that's probably what's getting you from those oh my god side note if you heard the rhinology episode all about noses and nassholes you know that mucus is my least favorite substance and therefore a word. And I bleep it in some episodes, but that also got really annoying. So I stopped bleeping it, but I have not stopped silently cringing throughout my whole body. So let's get away from mucus and get down to basics. Basic question, why Mm -hmm. do jellyfish, which are otherwise pretty simple creatures, why do they have this amazing venom? Uh, they probably have it because they, so they are very um, morphologically pretty simple. They have like the two basic layers to them. They don't have any organs, anything like that. So 
this chemical weaponry that they've evolved is what has kind of probably allowed them to survive for the hundreds of millions of years they've they've been around. And they've the structures that they make, so that they're called nidocysts. So those are the these little organelles uh, within these larger structures called uh, nidocytes. So these are the cells that hold onto these. And inside, there's a capsule. That's the nematocyst that has this hollow little tube and has all this venom and other secreted stuff. And when it touches either a chemical or mechanical signal, it fires this tubule at the estimates are, it's certainly less than a millionth of a second. One report was 700 nanoseconds. Oh, my They're God. firing these things. About 5 million Gs of force. Oh, my so it's, God. A, it's just punching into uh, predators or prey, and then it's delivering this mixture of toxins that we call venom, uh, plus probably a bunch of other stuff that's working synergistically with that venom to make it work. And it's definitely worked for them. She didn't say five million, right? Or she said it, but she didn't mean it. Right? And did you say, did I mishear you? Did you say five million g's of force how many how many yeah yeah no i five million g's of force yeah this is what was reported yeah so it's it's an intense amount of power so it's because it's there's so much osmotic pressure so there's so much pressure being built when these stinging cells are being formed and then the release of that much pressure in such kind of a small container yeah makes a huge (gasps) amount of force so that, yeah, 5 million Gs is what I, I keep reading about. <laughs> oh, my God. I feel like the Department of Defense is like, how could we possibly co-op <laughs> make better missiles? That's insane. There, there, yeah, no, they are, um, there are some efforts to actually turn stinging cells into uh, medicines. So you take the venom out, you put a medicine in, and it's essentially like a hypodermic needle, but it's not a large needle. It's a bunch of little oh. tiny needles. Oh, you know, I remember when I did an episode on sea turtles. I mm-hmm. don't know if we addressed it, but how do some animals just munch these things like popcorn and not feel its effects? For sea turtles and for fish that eat these, like the sunfish, mm-hmm. they just have really thick um skin where they're coming into contact with these. So I believe for sea turtles, it's that they just, their throats, their terrifying, like spiny throats are just both really thick and jellyfish are still very, very delicate. And so they're just ripping them apart. And then all those um, probably leftover stinging cells just can't penetrate through there. A lot of things too. So like penguins, since uh, penguins was just featured and Uh a lot of other kind of fish and Birds also will chomp on the top of jellyfish, which some of them have stinging cells there. Um, They have little packets of stinging cells on the top, but normally they don't. And so they'll just chomp on the top part, which is the maybe the tastiest part. I don't know. (laughs) It's like a muffin top. And then they just leave the rest. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) They're like, later. Okay, real quick. Speaking of chomping on mesoglea, last week I mentioned some jellyfish recipes and noted that if you have an immediate aversion to eating jellyfish, just know 
that chicken nuggets in reality are way grosser, hands down, tentacles down. And I thought I kind of made my point there, but I wanted to follow up this week by mentioning that in a lot of countries around the world, a lot of Asian countries in particular, jellyfish is a delicacy. So good. And one listener named Mady sent me this message telling me that they grew up eating jellyfish, and in Hong Kong, it's a delicious appetizer. It's often served in small portions for everyone to share, and they say, quote, like a healthy alternative to a bloomin' onion appetizer shared for the table. And they also said that in their experience, Chinese Americans are often made to feel ashamed of the foods that they eat and that their ancestors have consumed for millennia. And I think that's a great point. And so always, if a food seems, mm, just compare to the things you already eat and chances are you just haven't acquired a taste for it yet out of a lack of exposure. So do not knock something until you have tried it. Also, do not Google nuggets. Just don't do it. Also, there are some really great videos of people preparing jellyfish straight out of the sea, and you can see how fast these chefs are at stripping the tentacles and getting right down to the good proteiny mesoglial part. And, oh, speaking of venoms, of course, Anna says that one of her research goals is to see how venom changes over the various life stages of a jellyfish, from the planula to the polyp to the strobilating polyp to the ephyra, which is an immature jellyfish, to the jellyfish, which is that bell-shaped medusa form. And Anna says that there's some good evidence that some box jellyfish change their venoms going from younger to older jellyfish as they change their diet from plankton to eating fish. She also says that male box jellyfish use their stinging cells to attach jizz packets to ladies, kind of like a glue made out of poisoned barbs. It's cute. Now, okay, for the sake of science, what are some other ways to obtain this stuff? How are you capturing the venom and are you keeping it like in test tubes or anything? Is that difficult? Yeah, so here's the, the, the problem with studying jellyfish venoms. Um, for the most part, it is the matter of size. So for a big Australian box jellyfish or some sea nettles or a man of war, which is also pretty large, what people have done is essentially cut the tentacles off and then either put them in some sort of separating solution or just otherwise tried to isolate stinging cells from everything else. And then you get the stinging cells to fire and you take kind of the contents of what the, the kind of liquid that you've gotten the stinging cells to fire into, be it water or something else. Mm-hmm. Um, that's great if you have large animals and access to a lot of animals, but that's even with these larger ones, that's not all, that's restricted to certain seasons and your yield of venom is still really never going to be that high. So what I do, because my jellyfish that I work on are maybe a millimeter in size, um, some, sometimes a little less, sometimes a little more, uh, I use, <laughs> very tiny, I uh, use genomics and transcriptomics. So I use genes, essentially, to tell me what their venoms may look like, and then some of my work is also using molecular tools to see if I can find where those genes are being expressed and if I can figure out what the ecological role of that particular venom might be based on those two and if I could if I could synthesize it, which some people also do, they will take the gene of that toxin and then put it into um, E. coli or something else, try and synthesize that toxin themselves and then mm-hmm. test it. So those are kind of the methods being used right now. 
what are the toxins made of? And are they different from species to species or are they like pretty basic chemically? Uh, no, they're definitely different from species to species probably. There's some like um, similarities in terms of function. So most of the venom in jellyfish are proteins and peptides. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a few like basic categories. So jellyfish um, normally have some sort of porin or pore-forming toxin, so something that interacts with a cell membrane and either just punches a hole in it and kind of leaks all the contents out specifically or non-specifically, as in like it, it'll target specific cells or it might just punch holes in a bunch of random cells. Mm. Um, there's neurotoxins. So those are kind of, I think that... Uh, that was previously talked about in, for the scorpion episode, too. So there's mm-hmm. neurotoxins that interact with different channels in your body, so sodium and potassium channels, and they'll either make them leak everything out or they'll block them. Um, so those are more common in sea anemones and corals, um, mm-hmm. but there might be some in, in all jellyfish. And then there's just some other enzymes, so things that are breaking down, like very Uh, bonds and fats and other proteins that might also be kind of all working together to make pretty bad things happen for for most things that get stung by these. Now, Anna says that it is very, very, very unlikely that anyone listening to this will die by jellyfish. Few can do more than just cause some discomfort, but there is something called Irukandji syndrome, and it's caused by box jellies named Irukandji jellies, who were named for a local Australian Aboriginal tribe. So these small, itty-bitty box jellies are about the size of an earbud, and their stings feel manageable initially, and then, in Anna's words, it erupts into a series of symptoms, including intense pain, 11 out of 10 on the pain scale, she says, constant vomiting, sweating, anxiety to the point of becoming a sense of impending doom, and potentially severe hypertension. If you're like, hmm, good thing I'm not from Deonanda, they're also in Florida and Hawaii. So if one of these little powerhouses gives you a love tap, please get some medical attention ASAP. Now, speaking of hospitals, what medical attention can we give the venom itself? And what about, has the venom been used like historically or maybe in the future to cure any ailments? Or is anyone looking to see if, I don't know, jellyfish venom can knock out a coronavirus or something? Like what's uh- happening? There have been efforts, mostly with sea anemones, because of those neurotoxins. Mm-hmm. Um, those are used in drug discovery efforts. The probably most famous, so I think it's in phase two clinical trials, there is a sea anemone toxin called SHK. Uh, it's a modified toxin that it works on potassium channels, I'm pretty sure, and it's being used for things like um, autoimmune diseases, so like mm-hmm. lupus. So that one is in, I think it's in phase two. Um, there might be a few more. So I think there's in total 10 drugs on the market that are derived from venoms. Most mm-hmm. of them are from snakes. There's some from scorpions. There's one from a cone snail. Uh, none that I know of from, from totally from jellyfish. And then what about like the actual venom? I know that just like a drop of rattlesnake venom is a billion dollars or something, but does anyone trying to like synthesize venoms or capture them and use as antivenoms or anything like that? 
Oh my goodness. Yes, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure. So in two places that I know that are actively working on either antivenoms or ways to really prevent um, pretty bad jellyfish stings are in Australia. There is an antivenom for the Australian box jellyfish, which is widely renowned as the, the most venomous animal on the planet. Oh, yeah, so that there's an anti-venom available, but depending on how bad you're stung, it's not going to be fast enough. Oh, my um, God. And I'm not sure. I think it's been used before to some good success. And the other one is at, in University of Hawaii. There's a researcher there, a biochemist, um, Dr. Angel Yanagihara, who is very, very active on trying to prevent box jellyfish stings, not just the Australian box jellyfish, but this group of box jellyfish that cause problems kind of all over the world. And Mm -hmm. she also works on uh, developing treatments, not necessarily anti-venoms, but various different kinds of treatments. Can you die from a box jellyfish sting? Oh, yeah. Really? (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Um, So the the Australian box jellyfish, it's called Chironex flicari. Hopefully I'm saying that right. So this jellyfish can have tentacles that are a few meters long. Um, If you get two meters of tentacle on you, you have about two minutes. um, (gasps) And then you go into cardiac arrest and you're you're not coming out of it. Goodbye. Goodbye. Oh, my God. And how far out from the shore are they? Can you be like (laughs) paddleboarding and then just take a fall and off the shore what's the deal yeah no you could so um the the lab that works on these actively goes and collects these um by hand sometimes <gasps> if not in net uh yeah it's it's kind of it's kind of badass to be honest but uh, the water that they're in that i've seen them collecting and they're standing in it oh my god um, <laughs> how are they hand collecting them are they wearing like a suit of armor uh, so you can, yeah, you can wear um, protective gear on there. So jellyfish, so th- these can swim pretty quickly, actually. But the way that you would collect them is probably how you would collect almost any jellyfish if you're doing it by hand for whatever reason. Is if you're kind of following the direction that the jellyfish is going or that the waves are going, it's going to pull those tentacles kind of in that way. And so you just try and kind of cradle the jellyfish and then mm-hmm. lift it up. And trying, yeah. He, head of that lab, Dr. Jamie Seymour. So he's a very well-known venomologist of many different venomous animals. But he's been stung a few times. You get permanent scarring pretty easily. Oh my um, god! And I believe it's not many people die certainly from jellyfish. Um, probably more than we think, but not like as many as snakes, oh uh, um, for sure. But there are there are people that have died in Australia from from these. There's people in the United States that reportedly have died not from box jellyfish, but from the Portuguese man of war. You, you can die from a jellyfish sting. It's not many again, not many jellyfish can really hurt you. So Anna says that the folks who tend to have more adverse reactions are those who might be immunocompromised, asthmatic or allergic to the tentacles themselves. Also, side note, I'm going to need to have Dr. Jamie Seymour, venomologist, on in the future, right? There's so many venoms. And what's the difference between a venomologist and a toxinologist? (laughs) Toxinologists, uh, so venomologists, I I think, is anyone who's studying the venom or venomous animals, very generally. Toxinologists is the study of toxins very specifically. So you could be studying toxins in poisonous animals, 
Mm-hmm. You could be studying toxins um, just produced by either other animals or plants. Venomologist is just for venomous animals. Ooh, so is venomology kind of a subset of toxinology? I, I think so. Okay. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. And like more ologists, obviously the the better because that just means like, oh, that's another episode. Yeah. Just- no, that I I would fully endorse as, uh, a venomology <laughs> episode because there are some amazing venomologists mm-hmm. that uh, have done some really cool work. Jellyfish is just there's just a few people. I asked Anna if all the jellyfish people know each other, and she said there are whole Nidarian conferences, like NIDAFest, which is in California and got canceled this year, which is a bummer because I was going to crash it by hiding behind a plant in the hotel lobby. It's half really intense, amazing science, and the other half is basically a dance party. (laughs) So I highly recommend crashing NIDAFest. There's going to be some awesome people there. That's amazing. And what happens if you get stung by a jellyfish? I was in Hawaii. Someone in our group got stung by a jellyfish. I was like, what's going to happen? Who's going to pee on him? What do we do? What happens? (laughs) Uh, Please don't pee on them. Uh, Nobody should pee. Yeah, that's a very common flim flam, I guess yeah. you say for that. that uh, so let, let me start from, from, so when you're stung by a jellyfish, what's happening is that you've either touched the tentacles or something and hundreds to maybe thousands of stinging cells have now kind of punctured and are sticking to you and injecting venom into your, through your skin. I am in no position to give medical advice. I want to say that right away, but I can definitely <laughs> tell you things you should not do. Okay. So um, you definitely should not pee on it. And um, in the same same vein, you should not put fresh water on it. So I actually use fresh water to discharge stinging cells in the Ooh. lab. So, so if you and your urine is basically fresh water. Oh, At the no. same time, actually peeing on someone, the, the pressure from peeing on them will make them fire. Um, oh, no. It's like throwing kerosene on a fire, only it's pee, and it's venom-filled cells firing into a skin inferno. Now, if you have ever had the insult of pee being added to the injury of a sting, I am so sorry for the emotions that this is bringing up in you. So other than see a therapist later, what should you do? So the one of the best things that you can do is to try and get, if there's any pieces of tentacle, which is very possible, um, you want to get that off and you want to try and get as many of the stinging cells off as possible. And the, one of the better ways to do that, if you have tweezers, you can try and pick them off with tweezers. Tweezers aren't always available. So uh, going back into the ocean, wherever you were and got stung, and using salt water. So salt water will not activate the stinging cells to fire anymore. And you very gently, as much as you can, try and use salt water to wash away the tentacle and any of the stinging cells in that area. Gentle. Oh, smart. Okay, so go back to the scene of the crime. Yeah, <laughs> but be, be careful you're not like there's not more jellyfish or, or whatnot. So Anna says that Dr. Angel Yanagahara of the University of Manoa does amazing work in venoms as well. And she got into the field after sustaining a near-fatal sting during a morning ocean swim decades ago. But her 2017 study showed that seawater could worsen the stings if the pressure of the rinse is too hard, like it would be with a robust stream of pee. Then the 
Next uh, best thing. So it, it now kind of varies. Um, a lot of uh, places recommend vinegar. Ooh. So vinegar will actually prevent more, if there are stinging cells left, will prevent them from firing. So it kind of deactivates them. Um, but there's some controversy that for some species, it might make them fire more. Ooh. But for, for box jellyfish, I should, should say, box jellyfish in places where you know there's box jellyfish, vinegar definitely helps. Okay. Like a good citizen, before you go out into the ocean, check if it's jellyfish season and what jellyfish will be there. Oh, you can do that? There's Is there yeah. like a jellyfish forecast? Yeah. My family will go to South Carolina fairly often. So they do have reports on when jellyfish season is, which is normally the, the warmer months, but it, there, it varies again between species. And they will have the most up-to-date for that area kind of precautions. So do some Googling. What else? Is there anything you can do to prevent being stung by a jellyfish? Yeah, so I believe Diane Nyad, when she did her long record-breaking yeah. swim, she wore pantyhose or something. So in some <laughs> cases, something just like pantyhose or anything like that that's mildly protective is enough. If you use gloves, often you're not going to get, if, if you're like picking up a jellyfish again, for, for some reason, gloves, I, I wouldn't recommend it, but gloves will keep you for the most part from getting stung either. So the researcher I was talking about, Hawaii, Dr. Yanagihara, has developed something called Sting No More. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's uh, designed essentially to stop the sting. Pain, the the other kind of consequences of being stung afterward, that's something that in places where that's a concern, I believe like in lifeguard kits in various places that is available and it's commercially available. So get yourself some of that. And if you're like, dang, I guess I need a full body nylon bodysuit, you could always go that direction. Now, I want you to know I went down a real rabbit hole looking into marathon swimmer Diana Nyad's jelly troubles and her incredibly inspiring feat of swimming between Cuba and Florida. I didn't know much about this, but midway through what was to be a 50-hour swim, she encountered box jellies. And this is a clip from her 2013 TED Talk describing the experience, which you should definitely go and watch in its entirety. It's so compelling. Two hours in, wham, never in my life. I knew there were Portuguese men of war, all kinds of moon jellies, all kinds of things, but the box jellyfish from the southern oceans is not supposed to be in these waters. And I was on fire, excruciating, excruciating pain. I don't know if you can still see the red line here and up the arm. Evidently, a piece this big of tentacle has a hundred thousand little barbs on it. And each barb is not just stinging your skin, it's sending a venom. The most venomous animal that lives in the ocean is the box jellyfish. And every one of those barbs is sending that venom into the central nervous system. So first, I feel like boiling hot oil I've been dipped in and I'm yelling out, fire, fire, fire! Fire, help me, somebody help me. And the next thing 
is paralysis. I feel it in the back and then I feel it in the chest up here and I can't breathe. And now I'm not swimming with a nice long stroke. I'm sort of crabbing it this way. Then come convulsions. Young man on our boat is an EMT. He dives in to try to help me. He's stung. They drag him out on the boat and he's evidently, I didn't see any of this, but lying on the boat and giving himself epinephrine shots. So Diana and I had attempted this swim four times and finally had to wear a full body stinger suit is what they're called. They're made of nylon and elastane. She also had to wear a hood and a mouth guard so that no part of her body was exposed after that. And so after hiring a team of scientists, including toxinologists, she finally completed the swim in 2013 at the age of 64. And in the water, she says she kept repeating to herself, find a way, find a way, find a way. Ah, oh, also, how bananas is it that her last name is Nyad, and in Greek and Roman mythology, a Nyad is a water nymph deity, and it comes from the Greek word for to swim. Anyway, I watched footage of her scrambling out of the water onto the sand of Key West, swollen and dazed and thronged by supporters chanting her name. And I cried my face off. I have never been so happy to watch cell phone video of someone stumbling and delirious on a Florida beach. What does it feel like when you get stung? <laughs> um, uh, fiery, burning pain, normally, for the bad ones. So the lion's mane, that was for sure. Um, sea nettles, which a lot of people, I'm sure, have been stung by for sure. I hear for man of wars and for box jellyfish. It's this really intense burning pain initially, and that's probably coming a bit from the venom actually attacking your skin. Uh, so there's a lot of times dermonecrotic components of the venom, mm. which is what will leave this, that scarring. Um, it's also probably just your the response of your, your body to these toxins coming in, which might either be making holes in various cells or those neurotoxins are making things fire, saying it's pain. So that's the kind of immediate thing and that's normally the thing that, that, that certainly scares people and makes them then kind of freak out for the yeah. most part. It's just that really intense pain. But normally it'll go away in an hour, maybe two. Mm -hmm. um, there's not often going to be many long-term effects. Now that being said, if you're if you're stung by something and you start having trouble breathing or you start otherwise like feeling more like anxious than normal or you start sweating those those are signs that maybe you're having a allergic reaction Ooh. or if you have any sort of anything that's kind of out of normal from just that pain that's when you want to kind of think about going to the hospital to get treated for those so that that can happen if you're particularly prone those sorts of oh things god um, can you imagine being allergic on top of just getting venom injected I, I, into it 500 million yeah, trees, like, yeah just like yeah no. yeah there, that's um actually the, the discovery of anaphylaxis the nobel prize for that was based on studies from jellyfish venom which i think is pretty funny ah that's amazing it's true the 1913 nobel prize went to monsieur charles r richet for his toxinological efforts magnifique jellyfish in movies jellyfish in tv Oh, really strike you? Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So I've been trying to figure out the name of this. So it's Seven Pounds with Will Smith. I love that she wrote this all down. I love how much she loves jelly venom. 
so he talks about box jellyfish in there. And at the end, um, he goes into a bathtub of ice. Okay. Uh, and then releases some box jellyfish that somehow he's been caring for and okay. are very happy <laughs> into the bathtub of ice and it stings him and uh, he dies. But somehow his organs, are, he's using it to preserve his organs. Oh, God. Uh, so, so multiple issues here. <laughs> so, <laughs> what was being depicted was certainly the, the Australian box jellyfish. I just watched a clip of this that were apparently he had seen at Monterey Bay Aquarium. They have a fantastic jellyfish facility there, and they're able to grow many kinds of jellyfish that other people can't grow. Um, I do not think they have ever had the Australian box jellyfish <laughs> there in tanks. Certainly not in the numbers that they had in there. Um, those animals are also tropical. They like warm water. Um, if you put them into an ice bath, which was probably also fresh water, they would disintegrate or they would die almost immediately, probably curl into a little sad ball. Somehow he was also keeping them in a tank that, so jellyfish need very specific tanks that are round and have no corners or else that will um, rip them. To shreds. How will a corner rip them to shreds? Uh, so when they get in the corner or in like filters, they just kind of get caught or stuck and then they will rip themselves apart. Oh no! <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, I've, I've, because I've tried to construct some other kinds of tanks. It's happened probably uh, more times than I, as a jellyfish biologist, I care to share but yeah wow. they, they often rip themselves so that's why jellyfish um, researchers often only keep polyps it's you don't normally keep jellyfish because they're really hard to take care of once they're actually jellyfish you keep them oh. as polyps oh i didn't realize that okay hence dr rebecca helms polyp parlor from the medusology episode what about patreon questions can i ask you a million of them Yes, go for it. <laughs> but before we get to your questions, a few words about sponsors of the show who make it possible for us to throw some cash at a charity of the ologist choosing each week. And this week, Anna would like it to go to skypeascientist.org, which is a nonprofit educational organization that enables scientists to video conference with students in classrooms. And they are great. They're run by squid expert Dr. Sarah McEnulty, who you heard in Tithology. They also run science trivia over Zoom on Thursdays. They have so many videos with experts up. So that went to skypeascientist.org at Anna's behest. And that was made possible by a few sponsors of Ologies. KiwiCo. You know I love KiwiCo because making stuff and learning while you do it, the best way. And KiwiCo is great. They deliver seriously fun learning for kids of all ages. They have these hands-on projects and activities. And each month, kids receive crates that are engaging and that introduce them to things like science and technology or concepts and art. And I love that all the things you need are in there. So you're not going to be running out to the store to get pipe cleaners. You're not going to run out of glue or something. And KiwiCo tests these crates with professionals and with kids to make them the best they can be. There's so many different projects depending on what your kiddo's interested in, what age or grade level they're at. You can discover the science of magic. You can engineer a domino machine. These make great gifts. I have given these to so many kids. And I also like that there's no commitment so you can pause or cancel crates anytime. So redefine learning with play. You can explore projects that build confidence and problem-solving skills with KiwiCo. Get 50% off your first month on any crate line at kiwico.com with the promo code ologies. So that's 50% off your first month at kiwico.com promo code ologies. They're going to love it. 
Okay, so a little fun fact about how we make the show. So right before it gets published, I do like the third pass on the edit in case I want to tweak anything before it goes out. And I always do laundry during that time because I need to listen to the show as if I were a listener who's doing something else while you enjoy facts about capybara butts. And I would like to thank EarthBreeze for making that whole situation more pleasant. So EarthBreeze has these eco sheets that we use that I love. They're not a liquid or a powder. They're not a capsule. They look like a dryer sheet, but it's this ultra concentrated laundry detergent. So I don't have to spill a bunch of soap all over my hands and pants, which happens every time I have that giant heavy laundry jug. There's no measuring. There's no mess. There's no wasteful plastic jug, which makes me feel good about myself. And we all need that. It works on everyday stains and odors. And it's just one more step to making laundry day easier. So go wash your clothes, but make it easier with EarthBreeze. And right now, Ologies listeners can get started with EarthBreeze and save 40%. So go to earthbreeze.com slash ologies. That's earthbreeze.com slash ologies for 40% off your subscription. I use it while I edit this. Okay, here's how I like my clothes. I like them classic. I like them well-made. I like them comfortable and I like them ethical, which is why I flipped when I first heard about Quince. So Quince partners directly with these top factories. So they cut out the cost of the middleman and then they pass the savings on to obviously you. They have these 100% Mongolian cashmere sweaters that start at 50 bucks. They have organic cotton sweaters. They have washable silk tops. They even have 14 karat jewelry in case you are looking for a present maybe for yourself. So Quince items are priced like 50 to 80% less than similar brands. But Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices. And I like that their styles are well-made, well-cut, but also classic. I did not own a cashmere sweater before Quince. That was the kind of thing that I would splurge for for other people, but not myself. But I was like, you know what, Quince? I think I shall. So indulge in affordable luxury. Go to quince.com slash ologies for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash ologies to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash ologies. You look amazing. How you doing on that D, that vitamin D? Could be better. I feel ya. Some of us are coming out of a winter. I don't know how much outside time you get. I don't know how your vitamin D is dietarily, but I know a lot of people, including myself, especially women over 18, 97% of us not getting enough vitamin D from our diet. Rituals like, how about I help you? They're a clinically backed multivitamin. So skeptics, here's a multivitamin that's like, yeah, we use science to formulate this. I think you're gonna like it. Ritual multivitamins are vegan. They're gluten and major allergen free. I also like that Ritual is a female founded B Corp. So they're doing good for the health of people and the planet. Ritual multivitamins are also gentle on an empty stomach. I like that when I open mine, they have kind of a minty essence. I've got Ritual vitamins in my belly right now, to be honest. I take them every day. They have kind of a lava lamp look with oil and beads inside. I also have their melatonin caps at night when I need to go bye-bye Z's. So no more shady business. Rituals Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin you can actually trust. And get 20% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash ologies. So start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. So that's ritual.com slash ologies for 20% off. All right, your venomous questions. Okay, Natalie Perkins wants to know, can they feel pain? Can they sting each other? And all caps, can they sting themselves? They might be stinging themselves, but it doesn't seem to affect them. So we have jellyfish in the the jellyfish that we have here that eat other jellyfish hit each other all the time and nothing seems Mm. to happen. But there are several jellyfish that eat exclusively other jellyfish or eat mostly other jellyfish. And That is also unclear if they are stinging them and actually like injecting some venom that is doing something to either 
sedate or paralyze or otherwise like inhibit that jellyfish. But the stinging cells have ho- little hooks on them. And probably, Mara, what's happening is they're stinging them, hooking onto the jellyfish and then reeling them in. Ooh. Um, so there's a beautiful jellyfish called an egg yolk jellyfish that you can watch do this. I've gotten to see those in person and they are amazing. And they just reel in moon jellyfish like no one's business. Wow. I think I saw that on your Twitter. Oh, (laughs) I love that idea of jellyfish (laughs) so much. So this tweet was a link to a BBC documentary in which Sir David Attenborough narrates what appears to be a sunny-side-up breakfast using silly string to catch some floating parasols. And by the by, Anna says that there are roughly 25 different types of stinging cells, which are called nidocytes. And these nidocytes have various sizes and shapes. They've got barbs, they've got spines, and the nidocyte cells themselves can be really, really tiny, like as small as a red blood cell, or one-fifth of the thickness of a sheet of paper. Teeny tiny. So that means each tentacle can have hundreds to thousands of these very small barbed little babies. Davy R. wants to know, do those barbs dissolve? Do your skin just push it out? That I'm not totally sure. My I'm assuming that they probably fall out before. So they're, those stinging cells, the, the actual structural stuff is collagen and chitin. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know that those uh, tend to not react well in your body. So I think they probably, parts of it gets pushed out and then maybe a little bit of the internal parts dissolve too. But I think it's, I, I'm guessing they get pushed out, but I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's a good question. Yeah. By the by, patrons, if you submitted a question for this episode and it didn't get answered, huge surprise. Anna amazingly went back to that call for questions post on Patreon and answered every single one of them personally. Like 300 questions. I have no words. I need to send her a fruit basket. So in regard to dissolving barbs, she followed up to say, eventually the cells will degrade, but likely your skin tries to push most of that debris out. And she believes some people might actually have allergic reactions to the really complex proteins that make up stinging cells and not just the venom itself. So her guess is that they could remain long enough to irritate your skin. And the best is to try to wash the area very gently with salt water or vinegar, and then eventually hot water to remove all of the stinging cells and the tentacle bits. Okay, so what else helps? Rachel Dashiell wants to know, is it true that rubbing limes on jellyfish stings can help relieve the pain? I'm going to go, nah, no. (laughs) Um, I've also heard meat tenderizer. Don't do that either. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Probably bad. Um, And also you can get a skin burn by getting lime or acid, like citrus acid on your skin in the sun. I know that that apparently happens a lot when people are like drinking margaritas. If you spill oh, margarita wow. on your skin, you get a really, really bad sunburn. I forget the name for it. I will include it in a side, but yeah, so maybe don't do that. P.S. I looked it up and it's called phytophotodermatitis, which is not only a very large word, but also helenarnar. So if you know anyone who's just been like slinging drinks on a beach, tell them to wash their mitts because it can give you blisters and it looks like you stuck your hand in scalding Wesson oil. Also, scientists say that vinegar is a fine potion to apply to the sting, but don't really waste your time with lemon juice. It's too bad you can't just bottle up and keep the venom. Or can you? First time question asker, Rhiannon Shembri says, 
what is up with mollusks that eat jellyfish and then recycle their stingers? Yeah. So yeah, a lot of nudibranchs do the thing. It's called kleptonidae and they uh, eat jellyfish. So this, uh, the, the blue sea dragon nudibranch eats actually man of war tentacles. Um, ingests the stinging cells, but keeps them intact and then uses those stinging cells on their predators. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I'll have what she's having. That's amazing. It's, that's it's, so like, oh, yeah, like that's I'm rubbering your glue. Like That's awesome. That's so cool. Oh, my God. So I, I like to say that this uh, for people that say, like, oh, jellyfish, they're, they're just they're simple. They're kind of they don't even have a brain. They're kind of dumb. Like they're so good mm-hmm. at making these little chemical weapons. Other animals are stealing them. That is, they're just <laughs> too good. So yeah, that happens a lot that they get there. Oh my God. That was a really beautiful nudibranchs too, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. They're like, I think I've seen pictures of them in there. I got to do a whole nudibranch episode now because they're oh. so pretty. Jason Enick wants to know why do they love Florida so much? Do you have any idea? Um, they, so many jellyfish in Florida. Yeah, jellyfish, I don't know the exact numbers, but I would guess that jellies just like really like warm water, at least ones that we can see. Um, so like ones that I work on, which are hydrozoans and hydroids, you can find those kind of everywhere. They're just smaller. So the big ones probably just really like warmer water if they have like symbiotic algae or they're just trying to get larger food items is probably part of it too so because there's more uh, biodiversity in those warmer areas that means more fish and more plankton if for whatever they're eating and so they can get bigger Uh, that's probably part of it anna also noted though that there are giant jellies in the chilly depths of the sea and even the lion's mane which is huge is in the icy northern pacific waters so she says it's likely that in tropical areas like floridia there is more marine biodiversity and jellies may have adapted to the food available there but the jellyfish are truly everywhere she says the equator to the antarctic to the deep sea they come in all flavors and sizes. Oh, and speaking of regions, Michelle Neer has a great question. On the East Coast, I've heard that the ones with colors inside sting while the clear can't. Is that true? And is is there a reason why? (laughs) Wow, that person has just simplified the difference between uh, um, the jellyfish (laughs) I study and other jellyfish. So uh, there's multiple groupings of jellyfish. So there's Scyphozoans, which are true jellyfish. These are like the upside down jellyfish, moon jellyfish, sea nettles. There's box jellyfish um, that are related to those. So those are the, there's about 50 of them, cube-shaped. Some have eyes, usually pretty bad venom. True jellyfish, there's like 200 box jellyfish, uh, about 50. I study hydrozoans, which there's a little over 3,000 species in there. And their medusae, their jellyfish stage is often very clear. And the, for true jellyfish and box jellyfish, um, they're translucent. Some of them are clear, but they're often, I just call them chunkier. They <laughs> often have some sort of color. They, um, yeah, they're just much more bulbous and, and you got more of, more of a heft to them. Whereas hydromedusae might only live for a week or two, um, maybe less, and are often very clear. I don't know that it's a good general rule that clear jellyfish can't sting you and colorful ones can, but probably most hydromedusae are too small and otherwise probably too weak 
to really sting people. Now, that being said, the Portuguese man-of-war is a hydrozoan. Mm -hmm. Uh, So there are exceptions, of course. That's probably what they're they're looking at, the difference between a hydromedusi and a true jellyfish, probably. Nice. So skyphozoans tend to be more colorful ones, and hydrozoans are the watery, clear ones. Very, very, very big generalization, of course, because every jellyfish and their venom is personal. Aaron Ryan has a personal story. He says, Once time, one time I got stung, and the sting looked like a red lightning bolt pattern all over my thigh. Mm-hmm. What's up with that? That's, uh, that's probably both uh, inflammation so your body just reacting negatively to that venom and um, potentially, depending on the jellyfish, there was some skin attacking components as well that maybe could leave some scarring. But that's probably the same as when you're stung by a wasp or um, a bee or anything. If you get those really big red welts like I do um, because mm-hmm. you're particularly allergic, that's probably the same thing as happening with the jellyfish thing. Ooh. And... Is it just like the pattern of the tentacle? Like if someone slapped you across the face and you had a handprint? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if oh if they God. made an intricate design of the tentacle on, on your arm, that would be really intense. Uh, but yeah, it'd be in that pattern, I suppose. Yeah. Well, now I have to find out if anyone's ever gotten a tattoo <laughs> in that pattern. <laughs> oh, I'm taking I'm it sure. like, straight to the shop. Oh, It already hurts. Tap me up. Would probably be a little bit of my hero. That would be awesome. Yeah. I'm going to look it up. Don't think I'm not. Okay. <laughs> if you think that this will be the only jellyfish tattoo discourse in this episode, oh, contraire. Just keep listening, my friends. Miranda Panda needs help. Miranda Panda says, jellyfish are wackadoodle creatures, and I'm so scared of them because I was stung two different times as a kid. How can I overcome this fear? As someone who's been stung literally daily, have you been stung yet today? Um, I, I mean, I stuck my hands in there, so I'm sure. I'm sure they tried. I had to um, poke my moon jellies a little, too, but they're not too too bad. What should Miranda Panda do? So, again, knowing whenever you go to a beach or somewhere and looking at when is jellyfish season, um, have there been reports of major blooms, so bloom these large groups of jellyfish, you can look those up. And knowing what kind of jellyfish they're probably going to be. Now, I, I think, if I remember just from me being on the beaches, when the waves are really heavy and there, there's a lot of tide, jellyfish might not go as close to shore, but then again, they might get washed close to shore. So seeing kind of what the patterns are where you are too, that might help. But also just knowing that most jellyfish are really, really, they're not trying to hurt you, one, but they're they are mm-hmm. not going to do any lasting damage unless they're a box jellyfish. And even then, you need to get stung um, pretty intensely. So I, I, I also was very scared when I first got stung by a jellyfish. I didn't go in the ocean for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say jellyfish are not your worst concern if you're going into the water. Okay. It's unlikely they're going to do anything really lasting to you. But I also recognize, yeah, it hurts and you, and you can't see them. And there's not really much you can do in terms of getting away from them. Um, mm-hmm. But I would just say, do, do your research, know kind of what you're getting into when you're going into it, and then just uh, try and let it go. And, <laughs> and just try and enjoy um, being out there, because it, it's really unlikely that you're going to get smashed too hard with them. Maybe invest in some full-body pantyhose. Or some, yeah, you could always get some uh, protective wetsuit, protective equipment, and then then you're good to go. Mm -hmm. Some booties. Yeah, I say do it. Um, Maria 
Jorvila wants to know, first time question asker, how many stings does it take from a red lion's made jellyfish to kill you? Any idea? <laughs> um... Oh, lion's manes are pretty bad. The lion's manes are one of the largest animals on the planet, let alone they are the largest jellyfish. So how large are the lion's mane jellies again? Okay, they are much larger than a lion's mane, for sure. Up to several meters across with these trailing, muppet-like, wispy tentacles up to 30 meters long which, America, is 120 feet. 120 feet, which is like four to five Macy's parade floats tall, or the length of approximately 23 alley wards, head to toe. That's a lot of tentacular action. So often, like with, with stings, amount really matters. Mm-hmm. So I guess if you got like a full wall of full body coverage, maybe that would be enough. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think, I don't think anyone's ever died from a lion's mane sting. So I, I don't know. Okay. This next ghostly question was asked by patrons Cheryl Kalatorowitz, Aaliyah Jolie-Brown, Rachel Henderson, and Shannon Ball. How can they sting you after they're dead or if the tentacles aren't even attached? What's going on? Yeah, so the they're synthesizing stinging cells kind of all the time, all throughout their life. And those stinging cells are more or less independent. So once they've created those stinging cells and moved them to where they're going to be, either the tentacles or other structures, once they've died, those are still pretty much intact. And so if the, even if the animal themselves is not making any more, they've already made a bunch. And so when you go and you touch a dead jellyfish or a piece comes off, so that often, when there's big uh, blooms of man of wars, often what is happening too is their actual long tentacles are breaking off in the water. And so even if you're keeping away from the large sail of the man of war, a tentacle might just come and wrap around your ankle. (gasps) And it'll still sting you. So I I often tell people probably... uh, even uh, if you see a dead jellyfish on the beach, unless you know what it is, which it's still really hard to know what it is, do not touch it. And even if you know what it is, sometimes their tentacles like swoop around to the top of the bell of a jellyfish. So even if the if you touch the top of the bell, it could still sting you. I would give it like a day. Okay. <laughs> so maybe maybe a few, maybe just a few hours. And it also kind of depends on how fast they degrade. So if a jellyfish dies in a tank here, it's gone in like 12 hours and probably really? a lot of its stinging cells with it. On the ground, I think it would just depend on the temperature, what kind of sand, if a bird comes and nibbles at it. Mm-hmm. I just wouldn't touch it. Don't do it. Don't do it. And <laughs> if you do, don't pee on yourself. <laughs> no. And yes. If anything comes out of this, please do not pee on your friend or yourself, a stranger. Please don't do that. So when nature called, I don't, don't answer that. Is there a jellyfish that you really want to work with or one that you're, you're always kind of um, curious about, like other uh, species that you don't work on? Oh. I, yes. I think what I'm most hooked on right now, uh, it's called the bell jelly or the red eye jelly. The scientific name is Polyorchis penicillatus. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And I fell in love with a large hydrozoan medusae, uh, up to 100 tentacles. It has these tiny red, they're like very basic sensory organs all around the, the bell, massive stinging cells. And they, they hunt like crabs and shrimp. And we actually don't... Um, even know what their polyp looks like. There's never been a successful kind of collection of their polyps or getting them to spawn in tanks, despite many people um, who are experienced with this trying to do it. And Mm -hmm. I would love to just Mm -hmm. figure out what's going on in there. Ooh, okay, these bell jellies. Ooh, they are cute as hell jellies. They are diaphanous with a little ring of red spots at the bottom of their bell, kind of like a darling little belt. And Anna spotted one while taking a marine biology class up in Washington State, and she made a lifelong commitment to the species. That was my first tattoo was of this bell jelly. Oh my gosh, wait. How, how many tattoos do you have? Uh, I have two right now. What is the other one also a jellyfish? <laughs> yes, it is. It uh, is. <laughs> uh, it's a little upside down jellyfish. That's amazing. <laughs> what prompted you to get them? So the so honestly, this this class that I got to go to um, changed my life in so many ways. I loved just th- this is a pretty famous place for jellyfish biologist. This was, um, it's called Friday Harbor Labs. There's just this wealth of different kinds of jellyfish that kind of get moved up from the deep sea. I mean, otherwise it's just such a, a beautiful place with all these different marine inverts. And this bell jellyfish at one point was actually the icon for Friday Harbor. And it was there that Anna got a chance to work with famed jellyfish researcher, Dr. Claudia Mills. She would go out in a rowboat, I believe, every day and collect jellyfish. And she's described new species. She described the behavior. She's done all this amazing work for jellyfish. And I got to meet her while I was there, which is amazing. And actually jellyfish with her um, off the dock, which is where she catches all these jellyfish. Jellyfishing, a verb. Now we know. So when I was there collecting jellyfish with her, I, I looked out into the water and I saw this kind of little white round thing and I kind of looked at her and I looked back at it and then I started seeing the the tentacles. Mm-hmm. I looked back at her and I was like, did you just find this and put this back in the water? And she's like, <sighs> oh no, no, I didn't see it. So I scooped it up and it was one of these bell jellyfish. At the time she was, I think, giving a tour with someone who had uh, young kids and so I got to show the kids this beautiful jellyfish, oh. got to hear her talk about it. It was just such an awesome moments. And at the time, Anna's old undergrad advisor, Dr. John Allen, also happened to be visiting. And then, are you ready? She saw another bell jelly the same day. That's like walking into 7-Eleven and seeing Beyonce. And then later, at Trader Joe's, there's Bill Murray. What a day. And again, uh-huh. I looked out, I saw a little round white thing. I'm like, could this be something? And then I saw the tentacles and I, I just, I probably started screaming. Uh, and so I c- quickly tried to use my hands and I got it into the plastic bag. And then I got to show um, my undergrad advisor's kids this beautiful jellyfish. It was just like such an awesome moment in science where just all these things kind of came together. And it was just such a beautiful animal that has this weird bits of natural history we still don't know much about. I just loved everything about it. And so I... That definitely was going to be my first 
tattoo because I, I oh. just wanted to look at it whenever I'm in a in a the grad student <laughs> student slump or I'm just angry at data not doing what I want. Uh, I can remember that there was this awesome thing out there. What hurts more, a jellyfish sting or a tattoo? <laughs> uh, honestly, the lion's mane sting on my wrist uh, was pretty bad. <laughs> okay, it was not okay, great. I think that was on my birthday too. I was it remember. really? Yeah. Oh, I got you this. Oh my god. And okay, so apart from stings, what or maybe it is the stings, what sucks the most about your job? Oh, um, I mean there's all the just like writing grants, working through difficult data, um, and that jellyfish, because they not many people know about them, a lot of stuff it's hard to do because sometimes you're the first person doing it. That all can get to you at times, but I have to say making salt water for me is just awful. <laughs> I, I, I don't know what it is because it's not hard, but I, I get tense because if you make it wrong and you accidentally give it to your jellyfish and they're just going to die in front of you, then mm-hmm. you have to do it all the time and it takes, uh, yeah, I'm not a fan. <laughs> Is um, if you were on a coastal lab, would you just go scoop up salt water, or do you need the salt water to be very specifically uh, like certain salinity and without a lot of different critters in it? Um, there's uh, so that kind of varies. So my lab mate is actually originally from France, and um, the lab he worked in there, they used salt water that was just lightly filtered, I think, directly from the Mediterranean. And I know they do that in the Chesapeake Bay, too, though that needs a lot more filtering. But for some of these, you do need very specific salinities, so salt concentrations. And sometimes you just want it to be very clean. I think I would still have to make salt water, even if I was near near the coast. Uh, it's such a, I feel like it's such a petty thing, but it, no, it really it's just not. gets on my nerves. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not. Um, and it, what sucks is you can't go home and like relax in an Epsom salt bath that just just <laughs> rubbing salt in the wound. <laughs> I know. I, I'm such a, I don't know why I've done this to my, so I have jellyfish at home too. And so I have to make salt water there. So it's not even. Uh. <laughs> How many jellyfish do you have at home? Um, so I have a few polyps, so I probably have, um, oh, maybe 30 or 40 polyps. So it's really easy to keep polyps. You just keep them in Pyrex dishes. So like mm-hmm. $10, $15 Pyrex dishes you get at Target. That's what we keep our jellyfish in, oh. some of the polyps. Um, and then I have a, right now I have a small, uh, fish tank, which I'm using to raise a few, maybe 60 jellyfish. So, by my calculations, that is 90 pets and a polyp parlor. This is a dream. It's the dream. And now, what about your favorite thing about what you do or about jellies? I was really trying very hard to think of this. Yeah? Because um, <laughs> there is so much. To, I, there's, there's two big parts of it, I, I would say. So, the, okay. one of them is that I am just so lucky, I think, to have gotten into uh, a lab with an advisor and a lab mate and a department that are just amazingly supportive and knowledgeable. And even here in Kansas, like they're just doing amazing marine biology and and just biology in general. I'm very lucky that I, I have that. And also too, like the jellyfish community and the venom community have both been extremely supportive of 
what I'm doing and what um, other students are doing. And I I'm really feel very lucky because I know that's not always the case for many people in science. Mm -hmm. um, but the, the other part of it is I just, I love that I can go out almost anywhere, whether I'm talking to uh, Girl Scouts or uh, other, other people around Skype a scientist classes or whatnot. And I tell them, hey, what do you know about jellyfish? We're like, oh, they sting you. I'm like, cool. Did you know that's probably about all we know? We know that they sting things, mm -hmm. but we don't know what it is. We don't really know how that venom is working. We don't always know what they're eating or what's eating it. It's just like such fundamental kind of natural history questions on such cool animals that we just don't know. And I get to help find that out. I just think that's so cool. I love finding new things. That's so cool that you are like a natural history detective and you might be the first person <laughs> in the world to understand how something works. Do you remember how she discovered that baby flatworms actually fed, which led to her first paper as an undergrad? Okay, so she lives for those moments in science. And then we put one of the flatworm larvae up on the scope and we saw food in its gut. And I, I think I fell to the floor and just like started weeping so quietly because I was so, I was like, no one has seen this before. Oh my God. It's just That's mad. awesome. Uh, yeah. You get all these mysteries and all these discoveries. That's so great. Yeah. Oh, I love it. I just love that you're also talking to me from your lab, that you're surrounded <laughs> by jellies right now. I am. This really is the comfort. <laughs> oh God. Thank you so much for doing this. Yes, of course. Thank you so much for the opportunity to, to talk about it. Yay, you did it. Do, do you feel like you just got done with an exam? Oh, in a way. I really, so I, I had my oral exam in the fall and I got married in the fall. And really the feeling right before this was right on par. Oh, <laughs> really? Very nervous. Oh, oh my God, that's amazing. Just the fact that there are thousands and thousands of people that are going to know not to pee on each other. Yeah, absolutely. That's a win. <laughs> so ask smart people stupid, stingy questions because their skulls are just bowls of cocktail party facts and they love to share. So follow Anna Klompen on Twitter and Instagram. She is at both at gelatinous sting, two S's. Her science website is gelatinoussting.com and her personal website is annaklompen.com. We are at Ologies at Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Allie Ward with just one L on both. And links to all of this stuff and more are in the show notes as well as up at AllieWard.com slash Ologies slash Toxinology. And Ologies merch is available at OlogiesMerch.com. There are hats and t-shirts and totes and visors. So please feel free to put ologies on your person and find other ologites in the wild. And thank you, Shannon Feltz and Bonnie Dutch, for managing all that. They are sisters who host the comedy podcast, You Are That. And thank you to Emily White and all the ologies transcribers for heading up transcript efforts. Those transcripts for most episodes are free and available at alleyward.com slash ologies dash extras for anyone who's deaf, hard of hearing, or just would like to see how these hilarious transcriptionists describe sound effects. And Caleb Patton also bleeps episodes so they're kid-friendly. Those are up at the same link. And thank you, Noelle Dilworth, for helping manage scheduling, and to Aaron Talbert for admitting the Ologies Podcast Facebook group full of wonderful people, uh, to assistant editor and pro-boyfriend, Jarrett Sleeper. And the bell to our tentacles, 
Stephen Ray Morris, lead editor, who also hosts the Purrcast and See Jurassic Right. Uh, Nick Thorburn wrote and performed the theme music. And if you stick around in our tentacles until the end of the episode, I tell you a secret. This week's secret is pretty fresh. It's only maybe 15 minutes old. But I just cooked my parents' dinner, and the marinara jar I used came in this like tall, skinny jar, and I'm like, unreasonably excited to wash it out and put a koozie on it and use it as a to-go cup. And I don't know why it's so thrilling because I have real reusable to-go cups, but it's just like something about the thrill of immediate recycling and like I could put the top on and throw it in a bag. I don't know. I, I see a lot of promise in this jar. I'm, maybe I'll name the jar like Paul or something and maybe I'll post an Instagram photo of us. I'll just, I'll let you know how it's working out. Maybe I'm going to break him Maybe it won't work out. I just, I think this marinara jar is a really good to-go cup. Okay, that's enough out of me. Bye-bye. Do you want to say, do you want to say? Hello, yes, I would like to say something. That uh, Allison cooks too much dinner. <laughs> that's your complaint. I'm too much Hey mom, first things first, thank you. It's my one year anniversary of my decision to say, yes, I need help, and yes, I choose me. And that's the miracle. I'm lucky that the strongest person I know is my own mother. Love you, mom, Maxwell. Be that strong person who makes the difference. If your loved one is struggling with drugs and alcohol, reach out to Karen for a different kind of addiction treatment. Visit caron.org slash lost. Everything's changing so fast these days, and that's a great thing. I mean, back in my day, we were lucky if we could get one video to load on our desktop computer. But now, there's the Xfinity 10G network. That means the fastest internet, with faster speeds rolling out every day. And internet that can power a house full of devices at once with ultra-low lag. So, while one person streams a movie from their room, another can play video games in the basement. While another TikToks in the kitchen. It's the next generation 10G network, only from Xfinity. The future starts now. Restrictions apply, actual speeds vary, and not guaranteed.